Welcome to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. Stay tuned for an analysis and conversation about the issues that matter most to you and your family. Here now with this week's edition of News in Focus is Chris Long. And good afternoon and welcome to this edition of News in Focus. Uh, We live in unprecedented times, and of course, right now across our country, uh, cities have erupted into protests and then unfortunately into violent riots. We're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about the protests, the riots, and the anarchy that seems to be reigning across America in cities all across the landscape. Protests sparked in cities across America in response to a video of an arrest of George Floyd as he pleaded as he was being held down and that he would that he could not breathe. The officer uh, held his knee on his neck until he expired. This is what uh, caused all of this to erupt up in Minneapolis, Minnesota, when a police officer held his knee on uh, Mr. Floyd's neck, and he expired while he was being held and arrested. President Trump addressed the crisis, and let's go to that audio clip right now as President Trump addresses the crisis. I want to express our nation's deepest condolences and most heartfelt sympathies to the family of George Floyd. Terrible event, terrible, terrible thing that happened. I've asked that the Department of Justice expedite the federal investigation into his death and do it immediately, do it as quickly as absolutely possible. Uh, It's a local situation, but we're also making it into a federal situation, and it's uh, it's a terrible thing. We all saw what we saw, and uh, it's very hard to even conceive of anything other than what we did see. Should never happen, should never be allowed to happen, a thing like that. But we're determined that justice be served. And uh, I spoke to members of the family, terrific people, and we'll be reporting as time goes by. Uh, We think that uh, we also have to make the statement, and it's very important that uh, we have peaceful protesters and support the rights for peaceful protesters. We can't allow a situation like happened in Minneapolis to descend further into lawless anarchy and chaos, and we understand that very well. It's uh, very important, I believe, to the family, to everybody, that the memory of George Floyd be a perfect memory. Let it be a perfect memory. The looters should not be allowed to drown out the voices of so many peaceful protesters. They hurt so badly what is happening, and it's uh, so bad for the state and for that great city. So we are working very closely with the Justice Department. We're working with local law enforcement. We're working with everybody, and we're speaking with the family. And hopefully everything can be uh, fairly taken care of. I understand the hurt. I understand the pain. People have uh, really been through a lot. The family of George is entitled to justice, and the people of Minnesota are entitled to live in safety. Law and order will prevail. The Americans will honor the memory of George, and 
the Floyd family. It's very important to us. It's very important to me to see that everything is taken care of properly. It's a horrible, horrible situation. And uh, so we'll be reporting back in due course and as quickly as possible. That was President Trump's statement uh, last Friday on May 29th that justice will be served in relation uh, to Mr. George Floyd, who un, uh, uh, unfortunately was killed uh, really by being arrested and that the Floyd family would receive justice, President Trump promising. That night, however, riots continued. Uh, now into their third night, uh, into Friday night and Saturday night. And these protests that were peaceful during the day turned violent at night as uh, insurgents within, uh, radical insurgents within those peaceful protests began to, uh, began uh, looting, burning, and destroying property. In Minneapolis itself, over 200 buildings were set ablaze. I mean, the city looks like a war zone. And one reporter on the streets of Minneapolis uh, goes to the st- uh, streets the next day and talks to a local resident. And she is a handicapped woman who lives in public housing there in her neighborhood. Her name is Stephanie. Let's hear what she says, how this is going to affect her life. I've been hearing your frustrations, and I would love for you to share them with the community right now because you and so many others are going through such a rough time. How's, how was last night? Scary. I live in the high-rise right back here, and I seen them as they came down Lake Street. But then they turned and started coming over here, and I'm sitting out looking in my, out my window. And they went straight to Office Max, the dollar store, and every store over here that I go to. I have nowhere to go now. I have no way to get there because the buses aren't running. These people did this for no reason. It's not gonna bring George back here. George is in a better place than we are. Last last night, I'm gonna be honest, I wish I was where George was because this is ridiculous. These people are tearing up our livelihood. This is the only place I could go to shop. And now I don't have anywhere to go. I don't have anywhere to get there. If that doesn't break your heart, listening to Stephanie, who lives in those neighborhoods in Minneapolis and describing uh, the absolute uh, destruction of her neighborhood, of the Office Max, the dollar store, all the stores that she goes to as a handicapped woman living in that neighborhood and the buses aren't running, she says, I have no idea where I'm going to go to get groceries, where I'm going to uh, go to, uh, to the store. And you could hear it in her voice. And that's who really is the victim of rioting and looting and burning. That does not send a message of reconciliation addressing the issue of police brutality. And we do need to address that issue. And I think the peaceful protests are appropriate. The president has said that. Our governor has said that. Our governors have said that. But this wanton violence and rioting, looting and burning and pillaging, that and the anarchy that's been set forward, this, folks, is a absolute wrong that's being done. And we as Christians need to speak out against it. People are being hurt. People are being harmed. 
There's other people who have been killed defending their businesses, and we have to address it. And here in Ohio, we've not been exempt. Columbus, Cleveland, and Cincinnati all have had uh, riots in the last several days. With us on the phone is Pastor Al Davis, a board member of the Ohio Christian Alliance, also live with Pastor Al on this same station. And with us on the phone also is David Miller, who is chief of staff of a councilman in Cincinnati. David, welcome to the program. Hi, Chris. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you, David, and thanks for stepping out. I know that you're actually doing some meetings right now in Cincinnati uh, for the councilman, but tell us a little bit of what's happened in Cincinnati in the last week. Well, I I think we have seen uh, very similar uh, actions that uh, a number of other cities have seen in the sense that uh, uh, early uh, or I guess at the end of last week, uh, starting on the weekend, there were some some peaceful protests. They lasted. They went on for probably, uh, you know, close to five hours of of folks just expressing their their First Amendment rights, their their concern. Uh, certainly, uh, mimicking the outrage that that virtually everyone has over the death of George Floyd, and so. Uh, at at one point, uh, the the crowd uh, in the, in the hundreds moved out onto the interstate uh, and, and started blocking traffic. Uh, they started breaking windows at the uh, police chief's uh, office. Uh, it's our, our district one, where the command headquarters is. Uh, they dispersed in groups. They started. Uh, uh, heading through uh, a variety of neighborhoods uh, and started breaking windows, looting, uh, starting fires, uh, and so uh, it, it's it certainly is a, uh, a a disappointment that the the peaceful protest has to spill over into uh, uh, problematic and and destructive, and so uh, we we are not not immune uh, to that kind of behavior, and we've seen it here in Cincinnati. Well, David, as we've watched this, normally when there's uh, protests and even rioting and there might be some stores that are broken into or some looting, what's different about this, they're targeting seats of government in Columbus, Ohio, the 161-year-old State House. The, the historic state house in downtown Columbus, our state house as a as a state, was uh, basically ransacked. First of all, it was last Thursday night. This state highway patrol that guards the building, uh, because it's not a, you know it's not part of the city. It is actually state property. It's the people's house of the state of Ohio. You and I have spent many many hours there working as public policy representatives for our organizations. You used to work with Citizens for Community Values, of course. I with the Ohio Christian Alliance. And as we go and walk those regal hallways, to think about people smashing the windows tearing down the front door, entering the building, that the few guards that were on hand that night had to discharge tear gas and uh, basically draw out their guns to get people out of the building. It was a very dangerous situation. Now, the next night, we understand that there was 50 highway patrolmen with riot gear in the building ready for the uh, protesters. But night number one, Thursday, when things broke out on the streets of Columbus, when I woke up the next morning, I'm like, what in the world happened in Columbus? So this thing started to break out all across the country. Columbus, Cincinnati, Cleveland, uh, Canton, there was other, and then, of course, 
across the country. New York, Los Angeles, and Las Vegas, and, and the cities uh, go uh, list is endless. But the problem is we're seeing another element of this. This isn't just your normal type outrage. There seems to be uh, a group that's a part of this that is a group of anarchists, and that's when the president called them out Antifa. This Antifa, they, yeah. they dress all in black. They actually orchestrate by smashing windows. They actually have people designated. You smash the windows. You taunt the police. They actually have attorneys waiting at the precinct stations to bail these people out. I mean, it's like a, a terrorist army. Your thoughts? Yeah, well, we've had, uh, we've had upwards of 550 arrests to date uh that's starting over the uh with the weekend we actually had one of our cincinnati police officers shot in the head uh fortunately he had a he had Dear a Lord. helmet on and was able to stop that bullet oh so thank god no is he no okay there is he okay yeah yep. so that's that's all yes he is just fine uh last couple of days here at city hall we have uh had had uh large crowds hundreds of people uh, we had to have uh, evacuation of, of staff. We had to do lockdown. You know, if you got stuck in here while they uh, were uh, approaching, then you couldn't get out. I had to actually uh, go out a side entrance, and I, I had to walk through a police barricade just to get to my car and, and you know, zigzag out just to, to get away from it. Uh, actually, today, as you mentioned, there's a uh, council meeting underway, and we have SWAT on site right now uh, during this during this meeting. So, you know, we, we just don't know what's going to happen. You know, you would hope that uh, calm would prevail and that there would be actually be discussions that could uh, come together and, and, and reason together around issues of concern. And, and let's work through these, to, you know, in some way to find some peace. But uh, I do believe that Organizations like Antifa are the ones that are, you know, kind of your your paid professional agitators, and I think they are bringing the the wrong spirit and wrong elements to our communities. Well, and they're not only attacking uh, businesses and property, okay, Antifa, but they're attacking government buildings. They uh, set fire of the historic church in Washington, D.C., across where all of our presidents have gone yeah. since George Washington. St. John's Episcopal Church set fire to that building. Thankfully, they were able to put it out. The president went over there and um, the other day and held up his Bible, thank God, you know, in front of the church and saying, we're going to bring law and order across the land. But they've been targeting churches. They've been uh, targeting religious symbols. They've been uh, they, the the World War II memorial was defaced. Um, the Lincoln Memorial was defaced. I mean, folks, these are not people that are trying to send a message about uh, you know bigotry and racism. These are people trying to send a message: bring down the government, and that's what we're you know we're going to stand against. And actually, we got a insurrection happening among us. Pastor Al, you have a report also that uh, was revealed from Cincinnati and Columbus. Share that with us about Antifa. Yes, Chris, and thanks for having me on here today. Um, Candace Owens had posted a, a video clip online of, I believe it's Cincinnati Council member Jeff Pastor, and he was there on the streets during those riots, uh, crying out for peace, and it's a very impassioned... Place. And he he's an African-American councilman, is that right, David? Uh, yes, sir. Yes, he is. Yep. 
And his words are moving as you listen to him, and you see the tears coming down his face as he's saying, there are people down here who are encouraging 14-year-old kids. He says they're encouraging them to throw bottles at the cops, and these grown people are encouraging our babies to fight. And then a little later he says, you've got people down here who are literally encouraging kids to attack cops. They're using Emmett Till, they're using Martin Luther King to justify why these 14 to 15-year-old kids should be out here. And he's correctly identifying there's people coming from outside in to organize these protests, and uh, they have video of a, a white individual in Columbus giving money to young black teenagers to go uh, throw bottles and things like that. He even tells them, you can hear the video where he says, uh, go get everything you can find. Go get everything you can find. Hey, there's three picnic tables up here. Um, This man was wanted to be identified by the Columbus PD, and I've since seen that they did identify him. I don't have his name or anything in front of me. Well, that's what needs um, to happen is the FBI needs to be on top of that law enforcement and seeking out who these people are, these organizers, and it is an orchestrated effort. We're going to go to Laura Logan on Fox News, and she gives a report. Uh, David, we got to let you go, but we'll be having you back. Uh, You stay safe, and thank you for your service down there in Cincinnati, my friend. And so let's go to that report by Laura Logan. Last Friday night, we were the first to show you how much of the destruction and looting wasn't spontaneous, uh, but it was part of an intricate anarchical plan to overthrow our government. And tonight, Laura Logan is back to expand on the details of the anarchist playbook as we continue to show you photos and uh, live footage on the screen. I'll be back up there in a moment. Yeah, uh, and we're going to continue to show you that. Laura is also the host of Laura Logan has no agenda on Fox Nation. Laura, what can you tell us tonight as we're watching these live pictures? Well, Laura, I've been talking to law enforcement um, sources all day and seen some of the data that uh, they're dealing with, which shows that there are uh, numerous incidents and mounting evidence of anarchists' involvement in these protests. Um, They're not just exploiting and hijacking it, but they're coordinating it and escalating it. And I would, you know, I can point you, for example, to an incident on the 29th of May in Louisville, Kentucky, where um, law enforcement sources say that as police were trying to respond to a violent incident, um, extremist anarchist groups used the black block, which is um, which is a, a kind of, you know, it's part of the movement. They like to call it a movement. And uh, they use, these are the people that you often see who are dressed all in black, in black, according to law enforcement, you know, they use black clothing, face coverings, and other protection to conceal their identities. And here, what's interesting about what they do is they intercept police communications. They monitor police traffic. They use secure communications. They know where the police are going to go and they know how to stop law enforcement responding to these incidents. And all of that is about escalation. You know, you talked about people being in the face of police officers. That's about provoking a reaction. What do they want? They want to return to May 4th, 1970, when someone in the National Guard opened fire and um, innocent protesters, you know, were massacred, right? Those old pictures, if you look them up, of hippies putting flowers 
within the barrels of National Guard guns. And then, you know, the result is uh, ultimately that people lie, innocent people are dead. That's what they're trying to get, that kind of image. And uh, law enforcement is gathering case after case after case that document this, which is kind of extraordinary when you look at all the propaganda, uh, not just coming from the anarchists themselves and their political backers, but coming from the media as well. Now, here's what former uh, Antifa admirer, Minnesota AG Keith Ellison, said about the group's involvement in the riots. So far, they have been very elusive and they have operated with, I would say, military precision. And I don't know where they're from and I don't know what their ideology is. And what intelligence must the president and his attorney general, Bill Barr, must be using? Because they're pinning all of this violence on one group, Antifa. They're operating uh, based on political considerations, not facts. Laura, has he not watched any of the video of the protests? Well, maybe he's forgotten what he tweeted on his own uh, feed, right? Because he put out um, a picture of himself holding Mark Bray's Antifa, you know, manual handbook with, and there was a catch line on that tweet that's since been removed from his Twitter account, of course, which said, you know, this manual strikes fear in the heart of Donald Trump. And, um, you know, just a few days ago, his son tweeted out that he stood in full support of Antifa. So if you want to talk about political considerations, I mean, the depth of the hypocrisy there is breathtaking, right? Um, and also he's ignoring apparently what his own uh, enforcement, law enforcement agencies are reporting to him because in Minneapolis, the police are talking about stashes of incendiary devices and stolen vehicles. And I mean, literally the streets filled with cars pouring in from out of town. And what's interesting, Laura, is it's all consistent, right? You'll have people saying, well, Antifa's not a group and they're just a movement and all these idiots on the right. They don't know what they're talking about. But look at the consistency with which these people are operating. They're always dressed the same. They use the same tactics. They happen to be on every single street in every single city yep. in the United States right now where there are fires raging and protests. And no, not protests, riots, right? And they're using the, the same messaging everywhere. That kind of consistency speaks to real organization, real infrastructure, training, funding, financing. And the kind of equipment they're using, you know, this is not some ad hoc kind of emotional outpouring. These are these are people with a very, very well-developed political agenda, and they're carrying it out. And that is uh, the report by Laura Logan of Fox News with uh, Laura Ingram. And uh, really, we're talking about a domestic terrorist organization, Antifa. And so that is just a little piece about how this really is orchestrated. Uh, it's a well-oiled machine. It's well-financed. And the FBI needs to enact the RICO laws against Antifa, find out who's funding them, uh, because they're the ones who are causing literally uh, anarchy in our cities. And it, and really an insurrection. And folks, if you don't think so, just look at that the 161-year-old state house was ransacked, raided, ransacked. And I mean, uh, it, it's a shame. I had state senator uh, posting up that his office was destroyed. Uh, look, we can't have that in this country. We need to pray for calm. We need to pray for law and order. We certainly need to pray for the victims of those who face uh, bigotry and racism, no doubt. And as Christians, we can lead the way because that's who we are as the body of Christ. We are one. Well, Pastor Al is going to stay with me on the other side because we're going to talk about 
the constitutional studies in the Ohio classroom. You see how these things pair together? And we're going to share with you uh, the testimony from last week in the Primary and Secondary Education Committee of House Bill 239. We are out to save the constitutional studies in the Ohio classroom, and you can help. Stay tuned. We'll be talking about that. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. And the soldiers who stormed the beaches of Normandy and the Allied liberation of Europe, on D-Day, all those warriors set out on their mission President Franklin Delano Roosevelt led our nation in prayer. The D-Day Prayer Project is an effort to add FDR's D-Day Prayer in its entirety at the World War II Memorial in Washington, D.C. This wonderful historical presidential prayer will be a lasting tribute to our World War II veterans. If you'd like to make a contribution towards the effort of adding this prayer to the memorial, go to the website at ddayprayerproject.org. That's ddayprayerproject.org. Hello, I'm Ohio Governor Mike DeWine. We need all Ohioans to help us slow the spread of the coronavirus. For the most up-to-date information, please visit our website at coronavirus.ohio.gov or call 1-833-4-ASK-ODH, seven days a week. Furnished by Governor Mike DeWine, aired by the Ohio Association of Broadcasters and this station. There are everyday actions to help prevent the spread of respiratory diseases. Wash your hands. Avoid close contact with people who are sick. Avoid touching your eyes, nose, and mouth. Stay home when you are sick. Cover your cough or sneeze. Clean and disinfect frequently touched objects with household cleaning spray. For more information, visit cdc.gov COVID-19. This message brought to you by the National Association of Broadcasters and this station. And we're back, and we're going to be talking about constitutional studies in the Ohio classroom. And now more than ever do our young people need to learn about our foundation as a representative republic, learning the Constitution of the United States with an emphasis of the Bill of Rights, the Declaration of Independence, the Federalist and Anti-Federalist Papers, the Northwest Ordinance, and um, the Ohio Constitution in the Ohio classroom. Well, the Founding of American Documents curriculum that has been underway for the last eight years is due doing just that in the eight, grades 8 through 12, and our young people are scoring higher than their counterparts in other states, and those reports have just come out here in the last uh, year of the uh, assessments uh, grades on these students, and they're scoring higher. Uh, than their counterparts in American government and American history. And that's due in large part to the passage of the uh, Founding of American Documents curriculum back in 2012 in the 129th General Assembly. Uh, And our organization worked long and hard to get that passed. It took us over 12 years through the Ohio legislature to get that passed. I actually been working on this since 1999, prior to the time of coming to the Christian Coalition and then the Ohio Christian Alliance as I serve as president now. And it's 
my pr- privilege to do so. Uh, but I was doing this as a, a citizen, an Ohio citizen, to get this through because I knew our young people need to learn the founding documents of our country. In Psalm 11, verse 3, it says, If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do? Well, there are those who seek to tear down, but we are those who seek to build up and to actually uh, uphold those foundations that have kept us all these years in our American Republic. I'm reading from the Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. That to secure these rights, governments are instituted among men, deriving their just powers from the consent of the governed. Pastor Al, uh, it's it's a blessing to hear the words of the Declaration of Independence, is it not? Oh, absolutely, because that is the foundation of our whole government. Other, well, I should say the foundation really is the Bible, because the embibled body uh, Bible truths. But without the Declaration of Independence, you would not have the Constitution of the United States, nor would you have the state constitutions. That's right. And uh, in fact, our American Republic was born out of the Great Awakening where people were learning their liberty in crisis. There was a great revival and awakening across the American colonies. George Whitfield, one of the great preachers there, uh, during that time, the Wesleyan revivals, of course, and people were coming to faith in Christ. And then, of course, born out of that, it was that spirit of liberty. Now, the Bible says now that where the spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. And also in Leviticus, proclaim liberty throughout all the land to all the inhabitants thereof. And, you know, on the Liberty Bell, that scripture verse is inscribed. And so you're very, much, you're very right in that the liberty that we have as Christians in Christ is the liberty of our government. It's a reflection of that. Well, in the Ohio classroom, we have, of course, the Founding of American Documents curriculum. House Bill 239 seeks to limit the testing. Actually, when it was first introduced, it seeks to eliminate the end-of-course exam. Well, if you take away the exam, uh, then the t- teachers would not feel compelled uh, to, to spend that much time on these subject matters. And I'm going to uh, play for you the audio of the testimony we gave in committee last Tuesday. Now, mind you, as you listen to this, I want you to think about something. I'm there testifying before the primary and secondary education committee. It's 10 a.m. This is before the story really broke and went viral of the terrible video of George Floyd being killed on the streets in Minneapolis under the hands of law enforcement. So that had not been known yet. It wasn't known to members of my to the committee, to my knowledge. It certainly, I didn't know of it. And this was on Tuesday of that week. And I want you to hear the testimony before the committee talking about the importance of our constitutional studies. And when we come back, we'll have a conversation with Pastor Al. Go ahead and play, play that testimony. Welcome to the committee. Good morning. Good morning, uh, members of the committee. I'd like to thank Chairman Jones, Vice Chairman Manchester, Ranking Member Robinson, and members of the House Primary and Secondary Education Committee for hearing our testimony in opposition to 239. That would eliminate end-of-course ex- examination in American government and history. Let me get, begin with a brief legislative history for the committee's benefit on legislation that was passed in the 129th General Assembly. In 2012, named the Founding of American Documents Curriculum, legislation that strengthened American government and history curriculum in Ohio schools from the grades 8 through 12. At that time, it was sponsored by State Representative John Adams 
and State Senator Larry Oboff. Our organization has supported strengthening American government history standards in Ohio schools for the past 20 years. We first started supporting legislation in 1999. That would accomplish what eventually SB 165 did accomplish, assuring that Ohio school children learned the importance of the Declaration of Independence, the Northwest Ordinance, the Constitution of the United States, with an emphasis on the Bill of Rights, the Ohio Constitution, the Federalist Papers, the Anti-Federalist Papers, in the Ohio classroom in grades 8 through 12 with an end-of-course exam. It took more than 10 years to convince enough legislators, members of the state school board, and Ohio governor that the time had come to strengthen American government and history standards in Ohio schools with an emphasis on the founding documents of our nation. Then in the 129th General Assembly, with broad bipartisan support in both the Ohio House and the Ohio Senate, SB 165 passed and, and was signed enthusiastically into law by Governor Kasich. State School Board passed an endorsing resolution supporting the effort. The Ohio Historical Association launched an effort to highlight the legislation and the importance of the founding documents, as well as Ohio's role in our early founding. Former Secretary of State John Houston launched a Founding Fathers Initiative to support the effort as well. The reason for the original concern was that Ohio's graduating seniors had low proficiency rates in American government and American history. Newsweek magazine in 2011 conducted a poll of 1,000 adults nationwide with 20 basic questions on American civics. They included the results in an article titled, How Dumb Are We? Only 62% of those polled passed the test. Included were such basic questions as, what happened at the Constitutional Convention? Only 35% got that correct. What is one power of the federal government? Only 19% could list one power belonging to the federal government. And what is the supreme law of the land? Only 30% knew that the U.S. Constitution is the supreme law of the land. It was because of that alarming results that the effort was launched to enact the founding of American Documents curriculum for Ohio school students. That great founding patriot, John Adams, once warned his generation that a constitution of government once changed from freedom can never be restored. Liberty once lost is lost forever. Thomas Jefferson stated, if a nation expects to be ignorant and free in a state of civilization, it expects what never was and never will be. George Washington, our first president, demonstrated by his act of stepping down from his elected office that we truly were a republic, not a monarchy. When King George of England heard this, he stated, if he steps down, he truly will be the greatest man in the world. George Washington was following those guided restrictions on governmental office laid out in the U.S. Constitution. As our first chief executive, he stated, the Constitution is the guide which I will never abandon. This is not a time for us to abandon the constitutional studies in the Ohio classroom. Far from it. It is a time when we should be emphasizing our founding documents and the freedoms and liberties that they afford every citizen. The threat of ignorance of governmental studies still exists in the U.S. population. In 2018, the Annenberg Public Policy Center of the University of Pennsylvania issued its findings of its Civics Knowledge Survey of 1,008 U.S. adults. The results were released in time for Constitution Day of September 17th. The survey found that many people did not know how the branches of government work. 
A quarter, 27%, incorrectly said the Constitution allows the President to ignore a Supreme Court ruling if the President believes the ruling is wrong. A third, 33% of respondents could not name any of the three branches of government. Here in Ohio, however, we see higher proficiency rates in American government and American history by our high school students over the last handful of years. This is due to the Ohio success story of strengthening American government and American history standards in grades eight through 12. The success of Senate Bill 165 is something in which all Ohioans can take pride. For the past eight years, Ohio has been making progress as general knowledge of our constitutional form of government and our founding documents has increased among our graduates. This is due in large part to the fact that the founding of American documents curriculum requires one full credit hour for the course study, one half credit hour for American history, one half credit hour for American government, with an end of course exam for each that guarantees it will be taught in the classroom. Without the examination, teachers will not be compelled to take the time for this course study of our founding documents. It is for this reason that we oppose House Bill 239, which is an attempt to reduce or eliminate the testing requirement. Thank you, Chairman, and members of the Primary and Secondary Committee. I'd be happy to answer any questions you might have at this time. Yes, Chairman uh, Jones, Representative Romer, uh, thank you for the question. <clears throat> I actually appreciated the testimony that the social studies teachers brought. I think they helped to actually make our point. The first testimony, he mentioned that one of the categories that is scoring higher in proficiency is American government and American history. And I think that speaks to the General Assembly of the 129th General Assembly, who saw fit to pass the Founding American Documents curriculum, the strengthening of American government and history, and really focusing in on that. So it's a success story, and I think they helped to make that point. The other um, issue with the second gentleman who spoke, something that stood out in his testimony saying that K through six, if I heard him correctly, in the primary level, that the founding documents is virtually non-existent in its uh, study. And this is something that happened a few years ago when the end of course exam in fourth and sixth grades was eliminated in a line item issue in the budget bill. It wasn't a standalone bill or we would have addressed it at the time and it was eliminated. And I'm thinking, why are we eliminating something that gives us some kind of marker to know what our students are learning or not learning? So we're very concerned about that. But speaking to the amendment, so obviously the amendment passed this morning while we're here. Uh, we, we, we appreciate the work that went into the amendment and, and trying to address some of the concerns. Um, we have some folks looking at that. And I was hoping before you, you passed it, at least it would be presented, we'd have time to actually look at it and, uh, a little further. Um, and of course, the bill is still in process. We appreciate that. Um, but that there are issues with the amendment uh, concerning that is this an additional rollback of the testing requirements in American government, American history. If you're combining, you know, you can't, uh, you can't add by subtraction. If you're, if you're combining something, that means that you are reducing, uh, there is a reduction in it, that from our standpoint. Uh, there's other language in that amendment that's being deciphered by interested parties, and I'm sure that they'll weigh in here in the next week or so on this, on this bill, depending upon how it turns out here in committee. Uh, I, if I answered your question. Representative Kaler. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, I just wanted to follow up on the answer that you gave um, 
Representative Romer, you mentioned that the reduction means we'll be doing less. As I understand the amendment we passed today, there will be no reduction in teaching the founding documents, but there might be a reduction in the test questions. So if I combine them, we have a 100-question test for uh, American or, uh, history and 100-question test for the founding documents. If I create one test of 100 questions and 50 of them are on one thing and 50 are on another, I still have to study all the founding documents because I don't know which questions are going to be about the Declaration of Independence or about how the, the branches of government or the Constitution. So a reduction in the questions doesn't mean I have to reduce what I'm teaching. Is that correct? Uh, Chairman Jones, Representative Kaler, um, <clears throat> we're still trying to decipher exactly the language in the amendment. It was just, uh, just over a little 24 hours old. And not all interested parties had a, had a chance to look at it yet and review. Um, that's a good question. Um, and, and there might be some reason behind that, but not knowing the specifics of the language of exactly what results it will have. There's always the unintended consequences that even the committee are not aware of, which might translate in the classroom that voting on it today, not realizing what impact it might have. So our position has been on this, and I know it seems as if we're being stuck in the mud on this. But sometimes you have to be bold and strong on something you know is working. If, uh, if I was, we were standing here today and saw no progress on Senate Bill 165, which passed the 129th General Assembly, then I'd be standing on some pretty weak ground. But we're standing on some pretty strong ground. And in fact, the previous testimony even alluded to that, that this is a success story in Ohio. We want to keep it going. Uh, their counterparts in other states don't have the benefit of the kind of um, guide that we put forward in the curriculum here in Ohio. And I know that many on the committee support that. I know you support that in concept in the classroom. Um, but it's one of those success stories that we just want to keep it going. And maybe a few years from now, we do look at maybe combining the test and saying, well, this really won't draw back. But Having this success, why would you change something that's really working well? Representative Strayhorn. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Mr. Long, good to see you. Um, this is more of a, a sort of a baseline question for me to understand uh, your organi organization's position on um, the content of the social studies curriculum. And uh, I've seen this conversation play out nationally a couple of times where um, there's been a push to add things to the curriculum, but there is a feeling that if you add those things, you dilute other things. And I just want to understand, is your organization okay with adding things to the curriculum? Or are you guys in that camp where it's, we like the where we are now and we don't want to see other items diluted by adding other, other things to that curriculum? Uh, Chairman Jones, Representative Strayhorn, can you give some specifics? So, so there, uh, this is, uh, and, and I wrestle with asking this question because I don't want to seem like it's a gotcha thing, and it's sure. not, and it's really just when I had a conversation about it. Um, uh, history is a funny thing as to who's telling it and whose history it is and how it impacts other people. And so other, other ethnic groups talked about adding components of their history. Um, and particularly not segregating their history out for like a month or, or a week. If it's American history, it's American history. It should be incorporated into the curriculum. And so there was a pushback on that. And so, and I'll give you my own personal example. Um, I, 
I, I had a pretty good education, um, got a, a lot of exposure to the founding documents, bought into a lot of stuff. I, I understood certain things that happened, but it really didn't hit me emotionally until I was at Mount Vernon and I was walking through the slave pens. And so I had one understanding of a founding father and one perception, which I actually held pretty tight most of the time. And even though I knew this existed, it didn't hit me until I actually physically was in that space. That's never, that's never taught. That's never shared. That no, no, no African-American kid is equipped to make that, that transition. And so I'm, I'm just sort of curious as to this isn't something we're going to tackle in this bill today, but I really was just kind of, kind of feeling out where is the space to say, hey, doesn't make him less great on this, this, and this, but it is an inconsistency and that's never talked about. And so how do we interpret the, those things? And so is there room in your organization for at least a discussion about how do we include Latino history? How do we include African-American history? How do we include Asian history in that history? Or is it felt that those adding those things, you don't necessarily feel like you want to diminish those things, but you also only have a certain amount of time and you, you may say, we don't want to dilute X number of exposures to the Constitution. I just want a sort of a baseline understanding of that. Uh, Chairman Jones, Representative Strayhorn, excellent question. I think under American history, uh, obviously therein lies the perimeters to be able to address our nation's history, both good and bad. Uh, when we think about that from the founding of that Constitutional Hall, there were those who were opposed to slavery, that if you're, make, if, you're just, if you're scripting a document that all men are created equal, they're endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. You cannot leave out anyone. And there were those in that constitutional hall who knew that that was the truth, abolitionists from the beginning. And of course, our nation played that out in a great drama on the battlefields across the landscape in the Civil War. And so I would address those students in my classroom who were of African-American descent, that these rights, these privileges are just as much yours as they are mine, that you need the Bill of Rights that when you're pulled over unlawfully and treated by law enforcement in an unjust manner, you have rights and privileges in this Constitution with these Bill of Rights that you can make your appeal. That's what I would teach in the classroom. And I think this is the 400th year of the Pilgrim's Landing. In the last few years, my wife and I have taken our opportunity to go up to Plymouth and to visit with a local pastor who's a historian, who's giving us, and he's a native of Massachusetts, and he's giving us real history, things they never knew about the Pilgrims, the separatists, those, that small group, that small band that came there. We hear all kinds of things, and there's Native Americans that come every year and they, they sit over the area where the bones of the original 120 are laid there on the shores. And they protest. I would actually join their protest. But it wasn't the pilgrims that they should be protesting. Because they saw the Native Americans as their peers. And history tells that, but we don't hear that history. That's part of our American history. There is another group that came from England. And they believed in dominion. And they believed in subjugating the Native Americans. In fact, Martha's Vineyard was unlawfully taken. I think we should give Martha's Vineyard back to the Native Americans because it was unlawfully acquired 
by that group of people who came in and forcibly took the land. The pilgrims didn't do that. They shared, and we, even when they would purchase land, the Native Americans, because they saw the land as belonging to, we belong to the land, and they would hunt on those same properties. And they said, yeah, that's fine, you're my brother. Fine, it's, it's open. See, this is a history too that we don't teach in the classroom, but it's so important, because there are two, there's a very ugly view of our history as well. And unfortunately, it, it came with enforcement. And for many people, it was a long time before they learned and exercised and experienced those freedoms that we all enjoy. Just follow. Go ahead. And, and I don't know if this is a question or, or a comment, and I don't want to put you on the spot with the organization in terms of um, making a, and, and other elements of those, those contributions and vendors, what have you. I, I think it's important because that's where not just black folks, but white folks get to see everybody's contribution, and that's Absolutely. how people accord value. And if you never hear the other folks' contribution, you begin to think that they don't have value, and I think we still grapple with race in America. Um, and I think part of it is, so social study teachers I think are important because I think part of that is for too long we've left absent adding enough of those contributions where both sides are seeing everybody's contribution and, and having value of each other. And so I think what you guys do is important. What you were just listening to was the transcript audio of the primary and secondary education committee from last Tuesday. That's before all this transpired with George Floyd's death. In fact, that morning, those of us in the hearing room were not aware of what was going on in the outside world. We were uh, having a discussion on the importance of constitutional studies in the Ohio classroom. Well, I want to thank those of you that made phone calls to oppose House Bill 239, that which would have diminished the teaching time in the classroom of constitutional studies. And there were 14 no votes, seven abstentions. Uh, and so the bill did pass, unfortunately, but we've got good security in the Senate uh, as the Senate president was the original sponsor of the Founding American Documents curriculum. I had a conversation with him over the weekend. Uh, he's not going to let that bill go forward, but we still need to be vigilant to make sure these constitutional studies continue. Pastor Al, your thoughts? You're absolutely right, Chris, and this does tie in. You know, it's kind of, on the one hand, ironic what was going on outside in the outside world at that time. And it's the lack of knowledge of what our founding fathers fought for and what they enshrined in the Constitution and those founding documents that really, if people understood them, should help to prevent things like that. In fact, Thomas Jefferson said, I know no safe depository, the ultimate powers of the society, but people themselves, and if we think them not enlightened enough to exercise their control with a wholesome discretion, the remedy is not to take it from them, but to inform their discretion by education. This is the true corrective of abuses of constitutional power. That's right. And, uh, you know, this is why it's so important, folks, that we just be vigilant, we be awake at, to the times, and be able to speak and speak to the, to the times. And the Sons of Issachar had understanding of the times to know what Israel ought to do. Here on this radio program, News in Focus, we're going to bring to you relative news stories, and we're going to have guests that, and experts to come on to weigh in. If you'd like to support News in Focus, you can go to our website at Ohio Christian Alliance. Just Google 
Google that or go to ohioca.org and make a contribution to help keep us on the air. I want to thank my guest today, uh, David Miller from Cincinnati, uh, from the City Council down there, and also Pastor Al uh, for being on the program with us today. If you've missed any of the program, you can hear it in its entirety on our website at ohioca.org. We'll be with you next week. We're going to continue the story, and please pray for calm throughout all of our country. Pray for our president, pray for our leaders, and pray for our men and women in blue. God bless you. You have been listening to News in Focus with your host, Chris Long, president of the Ohio Christian Alliance. To learn more about the issues that matter most to you and your family, visit online at ohioca.org. That's ohioca.org. Thank you for listening. This program is sponsored by the Ohio Christian Alliance of Akron, Ohio.